Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Revolution. Anybody excited to be here today? All right. Hey, we got a lot coming up. You Matter Month has been better than I expected. It's been amazing. We are having those uh, work projects next Saturday. And so Noah said be here at 9. Everybody be here at 9. If no one's reached out to you yet, it's on purpose because we are reaching out to everybody on Monday and Tuesday of this week. So we will be reaching out to you with more information. We're asking everybody to come here at 9. And then by 11, if your project's done, go ahead and meet back at the church. Logan Rocco's taco truck has donated food for us after for lunch that they attend here so we're gonna have some tacos together and have some fun and so i encourage you guys to come back but today we're gonna start or continue you matter everybody say you matter for me you matter all right you're awake you matter 2.0 we're gonna, the week three we've, we've been kind of looking at this idea last first week was like hey this is how god loves us last week we looked at the good samaritan and being good neighbors and today i'm going to tell you before we get to it we're going to look at a relational secret that jesus lived with how do we live this out that's what's important how do we live this out in our everyday lives with our relationships even with the people even with the people that we don't like. But first, let me tell you where I'm from. I'm from Hersher, Illinois. I know somebody in here knows where that is. But other than that, besides me, one other person. Nobody else knows where it is, really. It's a small town in, in Illinois, and it's flat. Like It's way flatter than Logansport, believe it or not. And it's small. It's surrounded by cornfields. And growing up, there's nothing to do, right? We don't even have a stoplight in town. The big deal growing up was that we got a Casey's, right? We got a Casey's. That was amazing. But we came up with the phrase as I was growing up, and I got my license, and I started working at detasseling. Anybody detasseled growing up in here? Okay, right? I could claim to be a little bit of a farm boy that way. So I worked on a farm for a little bit. And there was this flat road we would go on, and so me and my friends came up with a motto. We didn't come up with it, but we said it. All gas, no brakes. And then we would drive on. I had a Camaro for my first car, and we would try to go as fast as we could on that stretch. And for six, you know, every year of my life I drove that road, I never saw a cop. So we just would go fast and fast and fast. And one day, um, a group of friends and I were decided we, we want to go. You know, we're 16. We want to leave Hersher. There's nothing to do. We want to go eat at what we thought was the world's greatest restaurant, Buffalo Wild Wings. We're like, we're going. All right, we're going there. We're hanging out. And so, what we did a lot is we took country roads. Why? Because the police officers were not on the country roads, and we would go way too fast. And so one day, and this is where I should have known, I made the mistake. I turned on the road. I lived in Hersher for 16 years. Not one of those years had my parents ever taken me on this country road. And I should have known then, but I saw that road and it was like, it was perfect, right? I grew up in the Fast and the Furious era. So like, you know, we're, we all thought we were Dominic Toretto or, you know, Paul Walker, Brian O'Connor. Like, we, we can drive. You know, Tokyo Drift came out like a year before that. I got my license. Like, I know how to drive, right? And so I'm driving on that flat road. I'm fast. We're going fast. We're flying. I'm in my parents' car because I got some more friends with me. We, we wouldn't fit in my car. And all of a sudden, we, we cross this intersection. And I didn't see a sign, maybe because I was going too fast or not paying attention. I didn't see a sign that says gravel road ahead. So I was on this paved road, and we're going about 70, 75, maybe 80 miles an hour on this country road. And we cross into gravel. Doesn't go too well, does it? And I hit a pothole as soon as I crossed over into that gravel road. And I'm talking like a crater on the moon pothole. This thing was huge. And I start losing control of my car, and I'm fishtailing. And I may like the Fast and the Furious, but your boy is not Dominic Toretto at 16 years old, okay? So I'm losing control of the car, and I don't know what I'm do gonna do. Like, I'm freaking out. And I see ahead of me, there's a big drop-off. I don't know what the, what's on the other side of the drop-off, but there's a drop-off. All I need to do is make sure I land in this ditch and not hit the drop-off. 
I didn't hit, I didn't land in the ditch. I landed on drop off. What we found out it was, was a creek. Right, it was about 10 feet drop, boom, into the creek. Water starts filling the car. We have to climb out the side of the car. It looks like I parked it perfectly in that creek, right? And so when I get out of the car and I think I'm gonna run to some farmer's house and like, hey, can you come pull me out of this creek? And I won't even tell my parents. It did not work, okay? So I gotta tell my parents, they call me, they say, hey, where are you? I was like, that's the thing. I don't even know where we are, right? Like we're on some road and they came there and my stepdad was like so mad. He was like, he was red. I could feel him getting red uh, in the face when I was talking to him on the phone. You know what I'm talking about? And so he gets there and he's all red in the face. He's mad. He's angry. He's like, dude, you were going way too fast, weren't you? I was like, no, we're actually going the speed limit. Like, I don't know what happened. And then like, I, so me and my buddies are in my, my parents' car and my mom's talking. I'm like, hey, mom, the good thing is at least you get a new car, right? Like that, that did not go over well either. And so what I learned at that age, at 16, all gas, no brakes is a really bad way to drive. But this is a really good way to live in certain areas. Like I adopted this in sports, we would say it in sports. But when I think of you matter, all gas, no brakes is a really good way to live. All people matter. Whoever we come in contact with. Loving people, all gas, no brakes, right? We'll love people regardless how they treat us. But I also think today, as we look at what we're gonna look at with Jesus' relational secret we're gonna look at, all gas, no brakes is exactly how he approached it. Because if you were to sit down, if you were to go home after the day, and you were to start reading the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and start just looking at Jesus' life, you're gonna see that he preached on certain things over and over again. Every Gospel had them uh, accounted for, or he talked about them multiple times. You're gonna see that he told some stories don't always make sense to us, but they were parables. He's trying to get something across. You, you would see that he had 12 disciples, and then you would see that he spent time with a lot of people. But they were the people that most of us probably wouldn't hang out with. The people that other religious people or other rabbis, which Jesus was, did not hang out with. They, he would spend time with people who are kind of the outcast, the, the, the outcast of life. They were living in the shadows. They were hiding in their shame and their sin. They were hiding in whatever they were running from. They were kind of not looked at as normal people in society, right? Kind of think of the greatest showman. Anybody ever seen that movie? And all those people come together and make this circus. Think of those people, right? Nobody wanted them, but the circus did. That's who Jesus hung out with. And you would see something. You would see that Jesus was shockingly approachable. Everybody say approachable. Approachable. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And here's what's interesting. We never talk about this. I've never heard a sermon on being approachable. Meaning living life in such a way where you're looking for opportunities to love people. Living in an opportunity where you're welcoming people into your life. And so Jesus lived this way over and over again. And you would see it relationship after relationship. But there's one chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And we're actually going to talk about this chapter in a couple months. But it's Luke chapter 15. It's the, the chapter where you hear the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. But before you get to that moment, we read this in Luke 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners. Let's talk about this. Tax collectors were people that were corrupt, right? They, they cheated people out of their money, cheated people, stole from them. They worked for the Romans. Everybody hated them. But the word that stands out is that word sinners because it's classifying those people. Like we're all sinners, but to say, hey, they're sinners, it means they're the worst of the worst. You're probably not gonna invite these people to Thanksgiving dinner, right? There are people you don't want at your dinner. Or at Christmas, you're probably not going to invite, you're not going to go look and adding them to the list. But here's what, the, they're, they're tax collectors and they're sinners. And what were they doing? 
were all gathering around. So they're gathering. Someone's approachable. So they're gathering around to hear who? Who are they gathering around to hear? They're gathering around to hear Jesus. And right away, you should ask this question. Okay, when was the last time someone who was nothing like me wanted to be around me? Because people who are nothing like Jesus didn't necessarily believe what he believed yet, didn't necessarily know everything about him. They gathered around to be him, so be with him. And so they would gather around to hear him speak and they would gather around to eat with him and then it continues. This is what I call the church verse. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so the religious people, they muttered, they complained. How many of you know church people complain? Raise your hand, all right, good, perfect, right? They're muttering, yep, 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 yep. They're like that dog that your neighbor has that never stops barking. That's what they're doing, right? They're yapping. And here's what they say. This man, what does he do? Why are they yapping? Why are they complaining? Why are they throwing shade? Because he welcomes, uh-oh, he's approachable to who? Sinners. And he even eats with them, right? You know, it's like you're at Bob Evans or place after church, like, look, who, look who's with that person, right? They're whispering, right? Like, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They're hating on Jesus because he's welcoming people who don't know God, who are far from God, and he's welcoming them and he's eating with them. Now that word Pharisee is an interesting word because it, it kind of refers to a, a subsection of religious people. There were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees and some other C's and they're religious people. But Pharisee word at it, its root kind of means to separate, to be a separatist. And so what, that's a really good way to describe them because they'd separated from people who were not like them, didn't look like them, act like them. It would be someone like today who doesn't vote like you, look like you, act like you. And they would separate from them. And so we sit here today and we're like, man, how could someone do that? How could they love God, worship God, yet treat people so badly? You ever wonder that question? How could they worship God, know God, go to the temple, give to God, have all these religious activities, yet be upset with Jesus eats with sinners? How could they exclude people from hearing about God? And we, we, we sit here today and we're like, how could they do that? But if you really just did some inner reflection and started looking at how human tendencies is and how we're wired, you would see something that's true about them, that's true about us. It may not be in the same category, but here, here's what happens. Our tendency is to separate from anything that's different than us. How many of you have looked around the world and said, what's going on? No, I'm just kidding, right? We all do that. How many of you have looked around the world and say, man, people are divided? Anybody ever notice that? We're divided. Like, we're going to see it really, really bad again and probably after January starts in an election year. You're going to see it again. It's going to be really fun. Some of us are going to have to mute some people on Facebook, right? We're, gonna, we're saying it now. But you're going to see that then I don't know if any time ever historians are saying this is the most divided the world has ever been and the country has ever been economically. Now I just feel like we all don't got money so I think we're all on the same page there. But anyways, what about racially? There's some division there. Religiously. Man, there is division amongst division in our culture. It, and the root of that is our tendency is to separate from anything that's different than us. And you can really replace the words uh, different that, to the word that makes us uncomfortable. Because humans have this unique ability to do what makes us comfortable. We strive to do things that make us comfortable. Because when something's comfortable or familiar, it's safety. And so what we do is we start to separate ourselves from things but then that things become people 
who are different than us. And the Pharisees would do that. And followers of Jesus, we, we, we have to push back on that nature. Because here's what psychologists and scientists and, and people who study human behavior have found about every single person. Now, you may hear this today, you're like, hey, I'm not social, right? I don't like to talk to people, right? But this is even, this is even true about you. That all of us, we long to belong. That there's something in us that we're created for community. That we, we, we strive to be in meaningful relationships, in groups. That there's a longing in us. And that actually your happiness and my happiness is linked to the community and the relationships that we have in our lives. There's something about us that, that is wired to be connected to people. And I think that's, that comes from God. Because God said in the very beginning it was not good for man to be alone. He said in the very beginning when he's creating the world, it, it talks about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being in one, creating everything we see. We long to belong. And we, we long to belong so much so that there was a study done in 1951 I want to tell you about. In just a second though. You see this picture. Here's a question I have for you. Not a trick question. Which line is longer, A, B, or C? Everybody yell it out. B. B. All right. Hope you can see that, right? It's B. So the question is, it's clearly B. What would it take for me to convince you that the longer line is actually C? Is there anything I can do? Can I tilt it side? Can I tilt the TV sideways? Can someone come up here and tilt it sideways for me? Is there anything I can do to convince you that C is longer than B? Right? Because B is clearly long, longer, right? So in 1951, a scientist came up with a study. He's like, I want to do a social experiment. I'm going to bring a group of 8 to 10 people in a room, and I'm going to show them a picture that looks just like this. Every single person in the study except one is going to know that it's a study. And so they would bring nine people in who knew what was happening, and one person didn't. And so they'd bring this in, and they'd, they would place that one person who didn't know what was happening at the very end or like second to last. And they would go around, and they would ask each person individually, what line is longer? And every per person who knew what was going on in the study would say, line C. And they'd go person by person by person, line C, line C, line C. And eventually, they would get to the one person who didn't know there was a study going on. And they would say, hey, what line is longer? And they see this picture, and they clearly see it's B. But you know what they would say? It's line C. And you're like, well, I would never do that. And that's what he thought. And it's found that they did this over and over again. And 75% of the people did the study would say that line C was actually longer than line B. Why is it? And they started looking at it. And it has to do with our nature to want to belong, to not to be left out. And so we start thinking about that. Think back to, to middle school, right? And you're on the playground. You never want to be picked last in anything, right? It doesn't matter if you're playing hopscotch, kickball, dodgeball. You don't want to be picked last. And then you go to elementary and high school. You guys remember all the dumb things you did because you wanted to fit in, right? You remember that, right? Parents, I think sometimes we got to remember, we did dumb things, didn't we? Yes, absolutely we did, right? And then think about it as you grow up into an adult like old hairstyles and fashion. Now they all come back around eventually, so just keep all your clothes in your closet, everything comes back around. But we do all these things to fit in. Well, I think Jesus knew something about human beings. I, I have to know that he knew how we were designed and how we were created to be in community. So when he came to this earth and he had an opportunity to minister and walk amongst people, I think he was living in such a way, he said, you know what? There's gotta be one place that people feel safe. And it's got to be around me, and i got to bring them to the Father's arms because that's where they'll feel like they approach, they can approach and where they can feel safe and that they belong. 
And what's interesting about Jesus, and this is where it gets really good for you and I, that's who we're supposed to follow. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of what? Love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is saying, walk how he walked in Jesus, live like he lived, and love who he loved. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at that relational secret of being approachable. We're going to how do, look at how do we practically, because that's the deepest thing we can do, right? Everybody always wants more knowledge, 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 but sometimes we've got to stop and pause and say, at the simplest, simplest form of living like Jesus what do I have to do and how do I imitate him? And so we're going to look at this relational secret of being approachable. And, and I want to say this. Being approachable is not a skill to learn. And so we got to get this out of the way. It's not limited on your personality, right? Some of you introverts and some of you are extroverts. Some of you, your worst fear is, is talking to people in a group. And some of you are like, hey, I love talking to people. So it's not a skill. It's not based on personality. It's a decision to make. A decision to make. It's, this makes me uncomfortable. Even though this is hard, I'm making this decision to live this way. Why? Because this is the way Jesus lived. So I want to look at a perfect example. It's going to be two verses, well, four verses, but it's, it happens after a very pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. Jesus just got done preaching his longest sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's a long sermon. You guys think 35 minutes is a long time sometimes? Well, Jesus was longer, just saying, right? And we're supposed to follow Jesus' example. So if I go long today, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm just telling you right now. But it's five, six, and seven. I call it the goat of all sermons, the greatest of all time. Now, we can debate a lot of, a lot of things about goats. Right? You and I can go back and forth all day about two basketball players. I'm not going to mention their names because we hear it all the time, right? We can argue what, what is the greatest fast food restaurant, right? And some of you are going to say Chick-fil-A and you're going to say wrong, right? And then my wife will sit here and argue. I'm like, who's the greatest when you think of goat? She's not in here. When I, I said, Whitney, when you think of a goat, what do you think of? I was hoping she would say my favorite athlete. She did not. She said the Backstreet Boys. Like, what kind of answer is the Backstreet Boys, right? But anyways, when we say goat of greatest sermons, there's no disputing that this is the greatest sermon ever preached because it was a, a sermon that ushered in when Jesus said the new kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God is here, and this is what it looks like to live in it, and this is what followers of this kingdom live like. And he starts with talking about blessings. He's like, this is what a blessed life looks like. And it was not like what anybody thought. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about stuff. He's like, blessed are the meek, the, the persecuted, blessed are the weak. He, he talks about all that. And then later he talks about this idea of, he's like, I know you've heard it said before. And then he raises the standard. He's like, I want you to turn the other cheek. That's hard. And he goes, I, I want you to love your enemy. That's even harder. I, I want you to pray like this when you pray and go to the Father because you may not know how to pray. So he teaches how to pray. And then he says, hey, I, I know a lot of you right now are anxious and you're worried. He's like, this is what I want you to do with your worry. I don't want it to consume you. I don't want you to worry about materialism and all that stuff. He's like, I, I want you to focus on God. And then he talks about a, a wide and a narrow gate. And he's like, this, this, this path that we're all living on. And it's a it's, there's two gates. And there's a, a narrow gate that only a few enter, but everybody can enter. And then there's a wide gate that many people go to. And he's like, I want to make sure you, you go through the narrow gate that everybody's welcome to. And then he talks about this weird, per, this weird story about two men building a house. He's like, 
there's, there's two men building a house, one on sand, one on rock, and the, the storm comes and knocks down one house on the sand. He's like, make sure you're building your rock on the foundation. So he's making it very clear, don't miss it, don't miss it. This is how you live. And then he gets done preaching. And he's almost, he ends it in almost such a way, he says, build your life on this. Live like this example. And that's what it means to walk in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to walk like me. And then he comes off that mountain and he's tired because I don't know if you ever preached a sermon but you're tired right I go home thing I want to do is I want to watch some football unfortunately I live here so the Colts are on all the time so I don't watch football I fall asleep watching football right and so you're tired and he's like he comes off this mountain and he's tired and this is what happens next when Jesus came down from the mountain large crowds followed him like that's the last thing you want when you're tired what's the last thing you want a bunch of people around you a bunch of people in your house they're at your house you're like get out I'm going to bed right they're, they got they gather around him and then a man with leprosy and it gets really interesting a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said Lord if you're willing you can make me clean he's like if you're will, willing you can heal me Let's, let's talk about the historical context of this. There's this man. Jesus is a rabbi, so he's elite of elite at the time. And there's a man with leprosy, and he comes to Jesus. Now, people with leprosy weren't supposed to do this. If you had leprosy, it was bas basically a death sentence. It would slowly but surely kill you, right? You're gonna die, but it's gonna be a slow, miserable death. And many people, especially Jewish rabbis, they believe that you had leprosy because you were cursed by God because of your sin or your parents' sin. And so they had no, they had no empathy for you. Matter of fact, it, scholars tell us that rabbis would mistreat these lepers so bad that they would brag to their buddies about how bad they treated them. And if you, if you had leprosy, you would have to live on the out, outside of town in a little colony of lepers, not cats, but people with leprosy, right? And, and so we got to make sure we're talking straight here, right? And so they'd have leprosy. But what it would do is attack your skin. And so your skin would, would start to get really nasty and ooze and sores. And if you had it really, really severely, because it was very contagious, it would start to attack your fingers and your toes and your ears and your nose. I'm rhyming up here like Dr. Seuss, right? I didn't mean to do that, but it happens. And th those things would start to fall off. And so now you'd be disfigured, you'd be sick, you'd be an outcast in town. When you walked through the town, you'd have some people say that they would wear coverings over their heads or their bodies, and they'd have to yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. They, or some would have a bell, it would ring, and people would clear out of the way so you didn't touch anybody else. And it was also said, I found out this week, that if a, the wind was blowing in a certain direction, if I had leprosy and you were this way, I would have to move 150 feet from you. You were a social outcast of all outcasts. No one wanted to be around you. No one wanted to talk to you. If you had family that didn't have leprosy, no, you don't, because you no longer have friends or family. You're an outcast. And so that's this man coming to Jesus. And you got to uh, picture that and the agony in his voice. He says, Lord, He's putting Jesus in the right posture right away. He's like, I know if there's any way to get saved, it's from you. He's probably heard about the teachings. He's probably heard about the miracles. He's like, Lord, if you're willing, and probably just begging and pleading, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus is around the crowd, right? There's people. And you gotta imagine as this man with leprosy is coming to the crowd, they're probably booing him. They're probably yelling at him. They're probably throwing stuff at him. And there's this tense moment. Jesus face to face with this man with leprosy. He's looking, he's kneeling in front of him, he's talking to him. Now, what is Jesus going to do? Because he just preached a sermon uh, on love, on radical love. He preached a brand new sermon about a new kingdom that's offered for everybody. What's he going to do? It's a tense, tense moment. 
Does he, does he curse the man? Does he beat the man? Does he get the man arrested? Does he get the man killed? Well, here's what happens. Jesus reached out, reached out his hand, and he touched the man. He goes, I, I'm willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cleans, cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift of Moses' command as a testimony to them. He's like, go show yourself to the priests to make you clean. So this is, this is a moment, a pivotal moment. This man comes to Jesus. And Jesus is tired and he's worn out and, and he just got done preaching and people are all around him. They're all probably trying to touch him to get a piece of Jesus. Like some of you right now, that's your worst nightmare. A group of people trying to touch you. You're like, I don't want that, right? And so they're there and he's, they're all trying to get a piece of Jesus, all trying to get something from him. And this man with leprosy comes and he kneels. He says, hey, you can make me clean. So what does Jesus do? He reaches out and what's it say? He touches him. It's probably been years since that man has been touched years since he's been noticed he's not uh, he's not he's not allowed to approach anybody but he, he approaches Jesus and he touches him and what's really interesting is you know Jesus didn't have to touch him because Jesus spoke many times and miracles happened but there's a crowd his disciples are watching his followers are watching and he touches him so everybody could see it and everybody's jaw would have dropped like there would have been that gasp in the crowd. What, why did he touch him? Because Jesus said, hey, I, need, I know you got those religious people there. I know you got the crowd here. I'm not them. I got time for you. I love you. I see you. The, the, the touch says, I see you. And he heals the man. I like to say it this way. He was all gas and no brakes when it came to love and being approachable. And here's where it gets really good for you and I. That's exactly how you and I are to live. Now, we're probably never gonna see people with leprosy, right? Especially if you don't leave the country, okay? So we're not gonna go around healing people with leprosy. That's not what I'm saying. But we're to live with this mindset. I love this quote from one of my favorite ministers, Judd Wilhite. He says, as the most spiritually mature person ever lived, like there's no question that Jesus is the most spiritually mature person to ever walk the face of the earth. Jesus stands as the model for what spiritual life looks like. We are to follow his example. We are to do the things that he did. We are to approach God in prayer the way he approached God. To talk to the Father like he talked to the Father. To treat people. To study like he studied. And all this, but he remained approachable to who? To outsiders and the hurting. His life reveals that the more spiritually mature I am, the more approachable I am to people who f feel far from God. So all of a sudden, we know this to be true that our spiritual maturity is not just equated to how much information you know. It's not a transfer of, transfer of information. It's information that you allow into your life that transforms the way you live. And the more spiritually mature you are, the more spiritually you will live like Jesus. As, a, as spiritual maturity increases, approachability increases. The more spiritually mature we become, or the closer we learn to walk with Jesus, love like Jesus, and act like Jesus, the more we start to actually look and act like Jesus. And so we follow these relational examples that Jesus has. Now listen, now I know some people are thinking, they're like, well, well what about the people who disagree, I disagree with? What about the people who do this and this and this? I, I get that. Over and over again, Jesus would have these encounters with people who are nothing like him. That's really important. Nothing like him. Didn't believe what he believed, didn't act like he believed. Over and over again. But you know what he would do? Almost every encounter we see, 
he would, he would tell them, or we, we get an insight, that he would say, hey, go change the way you're living. The woman that was caught in adultery, we're going to look at next week, he, he says, hey, I don't condone you. I don't, I don't judge you. Now go sin no more. Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, the way you're living, man, you got to stop living. But it's almost this, and this is the secret. This is the key. It's almost that his love, his approachability, his kindness was a door that was opened to these people that were nothing like him that allowed them to see the transformational power that Jesus offered. So how, what do you do with people who are nothing like you that you, you don't know what to do? You live the way Jesus lived. So we gotta stop and ask this question. Are you approachable? Now before you answer that, I wanna show, show you this chart I found. And so I know you can't see it, but I'm gonna read it to you. To answer I am approachable, every question we're gonna look at, you're gonna say I'm never that way, I'm rarely that way, I'm sometimes that way, I'm often that way, I'm very often that way. I'm known to be more inclusive than exclusive. That's good. Do you include people or exclude people? I welcome people with different, differing ideas or, remember this next year, political viewpoints, even to the point of turning the other cheek. I lean into humility far more than I lean into pride. I want to include anyone who looks to be left out or feels rejected. You live in such a way where you notice people who are rejecting you. Like, I want to include them. I intentionally do not size people up by their clothes or their appearance unless they wear bad sports teams, right? That's the caveat. I'm the first to make sure someone in a social setting feels accepted and included. I work diligently to love my enemies, the people who make my life difficult. If you can answer those questions, that will be a chart that says, I am approachable. Now, to even break this down further, we have to realize that every single one of us, we walk through life wearing a certain lens. You know, like, just like glasses, there's reading glasses, there's regular glasses, there's bifocals, there's sunglasses. All of us have a lens that we walk through life viewing things through. And so when it comes to interaction with people, there's three lenses or modes, they call them, that we interact with. And so there's the approach mode. This is a person who lives like, they don't know a stranger, right? They're gonna get an airplane and they're gonna leave with six new friends, whether that, people want, that person wants to talk to them or not, right? Like, so they're approachable, like they're just, they're kind, they're approachable. Then there's the avoid mode. That's where some of us are, right? The they avoid. And so the avoid mode is like, you see someone in public and you're like, yeah, I'm not talking to them. Right? And so if you're avoiding, and like, and, and like sometimes in avoid mode, like you're probably texting, texting. You're not actually texting anybody, but you're going on your phone because you're like, I don't want to talk to somebody, right? Or you're faking a phone call. And you're like, hey, I, I just don't want to avoid. And sometimes this is hard because, I'll get to that in a second, right? And there's the attack mode. The attack mode, it looks down at people and says, hey, I'm better than you because the way I dress, the way I look, the way I act, the, my abilities, I'm, I'm I'm better than you, right? So there's approach, avoid, and attack. Now this is where it gets really tricky. Sometimes, this is gonna step on some toes, right? I know it's gonna be. Sometimes we will use our personalities and the way we were created to say, well, this is just how I am. But remember, approachability is not a skill set to learn, it's a decision to make. And so you may not like talking to people, right? How many of you don't like, no, no okay, right, don't make you do that, right? It's, say, it's the same people who don't like to raise their hand. I get it, right? But we will give ourselves excuses of why we live a certain way. Now, here's the reality. I know some of us are, it's easier to talk to people. I know some of us are introverts and extroverts. I, I know we lean a certain way. 
But we got to be aware of our leaning so we can learn to live this way. Now, that doesn't mean you got to be like Mr. Rogers and Buddy the Elf every time you go to Walmart, okay? I'm not saying that, right? Because sometimes I'm walking in public, I'm like, hey, I, I know that person. I'm like, yeah, I know that person. I'm not trying to see him, right? I don't want to talk right now, right? I've got places to be. But our nature has to be approachability. And approachability is a way we live. It's, it's, a, it's a posture of life, meaning if this happens, I'm open to loving people. I'm open to approaching people. I'm open to loving people the way Jesus called me to love. And, and here's why. Your approachability is going to be directly linked to your ability to love the way Jesus calls us to love. Now, I know we all have different leanings and personalities, but our approachability, the posture of our heart, is going to be directly linked to our ability to love the way Jesus calls us to love. So what I want to do real quick is I want to look at two ways that we can start working on this. One is, the first way is going to be something that's really easy, and the second way is going to really attack the issue. So first way is to create margin in your life. If you ever notice something about Jesus, Jesus, I think, moved at a painstakingly slow pace. Jesus, if I was one of Jesus' disciples... He moved so slow, I would, have been, I would have gone crazy, I think. And I would have said, Jesus, we need to move faster because I am hungry, man. Like, we need to go eat. He moved such a slow pace that even as he's coming down from this mountain, he's noticing the crowd and he sees this man. He, he, there's other times when he's walking through a city and a woman who, who is bleeding for years touches his robe and, and he stops. I'm sure the disciples are like, Jesus, just stop stopping. Let's go. He made time in his schedule for people. And I think sometimes we live in this era where our schedules are so packed and we're so busy and we're, we're so consumed with so all these things that, that it's hard to be approachable when you don't have time to be approachable. That we consume our schedules, but we don't just consume our schedules, we consume our minds, our hearts, our, where we're consuming, 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 consuming so much that we don't live at a pace that allows us to be approachable. We don't live at a pace that allows us to be open to the needs in front of us. We don't live at a pace that allows us to slow down and see the people that God's put on our path. So we just gotta ask this question. Does the pace of your life allow you to be approachable and love like Jesus? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to be more present in, in when, I, when I'm doing things? Do I need to be more present when I'm working? Do I need to be more present when I'm in public? Do I, do I need to look for these opportunities to create these opportunities and margin in my life? And then the second one is this. Lean into humility. If we want to start living with approachability, if we want to start being more approachable, we have to lean into humility. If you, were to, if you were to ask me, hey, what is it that makes people so, what is it that kills approachability in, in most people's lives? I call it the disease of me. It's pride. And like, we, we want to push back on that quick, because like, I'm not prideful. But let, let's just talk about it. Pride is the poison of love. And I heard this before, that humility is the antidote. Pride is the gatekeeper of exclusivity. Pride allows us to posture people and, and to put ourselves above people, look like we're better than other people. Or we can say it this way, pride sizes people up and writes them off. Humility says, I don't know their story, and I'm no better than anyone else. So I'm going to lead with love. I'm going to lead with love. Pride, when you're leaning into humility, it, it takes away your, your excuse to look at people and say, yeah, they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my time. They don't deserve my energy. And we get, where we get that from, again, is the example of Jesus. If you think about Jesus' life, Jesus was the world's greatest authority. But you know what he also was? Was the world's greatest servant. 
He lived in such a humble way from his birth to his death, from who he spent time with to the way he preached and talked, the way he lived. And what we see when, when we lean into humility, we'll see something really cool about Jesus. Jesus invited everyone to the table. Listen to this. He says, come to me all, all who are weary, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the what? The world. Jesus lived in a humble posture that invited everybody to the table. He opened up that door for everybody so everybody could step into that transformation that he offers. He leaned into humility from his life to his death to his resurrection. I'll, I'll end with this. This week I was listening to a podcast. Uh, uh, anybody love podcasts out there? I just love podcasts, right? I, I can't sit in silence very often, so I love podcasts. And I was listening to this leadership podcast, and they, the leadership podcasts are really good. They all kind of say the same thing, but they're always telling you what to do. Like, hey, you need to do this action and do this action. You need to lead by example. You need to be the, the thermostat and not the thermometer, and you need to, to do the work that no one else is willing to do. And then this, uh, I call him the gray hair veteran came onto the scene, right? And he'd been doing leadership before I was even born like for a long time and he's like I, he's like what we forget about leadership and, and loving people because it was a Christian leadership podcast and he says we forget this so much and I want to end with this don't forget this because we often forget as leaders that it's all about the people and I love that because if you look at Jesus' ministry it's all about the people he came to this world to save what? the people he died in this world for who? the people. And I think there was something about him that was so approachable because he knew what it was to be rejected. His family rejected him. His friends rejected him. His best friend betrayed him. And then the people he came to save, they put him on a cross and they killed him. But yet it was all for the people and about the people. And as, as Jesus followers, we got to live in, in a way that's all about the people. Our mission is what? Helping who? People find Jesus and live like him. It's all about the people. People are in the mission field. People are the mission. People are the, reaching people is the goal. Loving people is the goal. Treating people like they matter is the goal. Why? So that as many as we can possibly get to believe in the name of Jesus and walk through that transformational door, we'll go through that door. Because it's all about the people. And that's why we lean into approachability. It's all about the people. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you make it about us. That, that we're not left out in our, our sin and our shame, Father. That you loved us enough to call us in a relationship with you, Father. And we want, our, our life is about walking in your will, Father. But you give us the opportunity to know you, to love you. But it happened because you loved us first. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus sets the example for us on how to live. And Father, I pray that we walk like him, we talk like him, we act like him. Most of all, we love like him. That we can just show one person the transformational power of your love. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.